Doc and the CIA, an interview with Kathy Compton. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Doc and the CIA. Uh, we have a great guest today, Kathy Compton. I'm going to let Kathy introduce herself. So my background is uh, in the world of sports. I was a, uh, a softball player on the national team many, many, many years ago. And then I started coaching, started my way at the small college level and worked my way up to uh, the last college I was at was LSU. I built the program in two years and became one of the top five teams in the country in in two years. And then I went on to coach professionally. I've worked with Olympic athletes. I've worked with a number of people, you know, primarily high performers, people up to big games who in some way are stuck. Hey, Kathy, great to have you on the show today. Very excited. Uh, wow, what an amazing career. Good night. You've done a little bit of everything in the uh, sports world. So walk us through when you first uh, went from an uh, athlete yourself into the coaching realm, what was that transition like as far as pushing yourself with internal drive to teaching others how to have drive and become the best? What a great question because, you know, what I did know is that trying to get my athletes to be like I was as an athlete didn't work. You know, as an athlete, I had this, this drive. It, it actually, you know, really inspired me to just put everything I had out there in the field and get into what we call the zone where there was nothing. And you could actually like smell the dirt and you could see the seams on the ball, but trying to trans, transfer that over to my athletes as a young coach straight out of graduate school with nothing but a um, you know, sports psychology background and, a, and an athlete, athletic background didn't work. So what I discovered along the way was communication was key and empowering people, empowering the athletes to go beyond who they knew themselves to be. And with women athletes in particular, I found that extremely um, rewarding because they, something about women athletes, when they come together, the, the group becomes so much stronger than the individual. And when they get their attention off of themselves and actually get it on what they're out to accomplish, extraordinary things can happen. I can tell you story after story where we, pulled out what you would call if you've seen the movie a miracle on ice and we were known for the team that could go in and beat somebody that they had no business even playing with let alone beating in fact usa today one time after we drove from louisiana to uh, south carolina we played university of south carolina they were on a 34 game winning streak uh, and they were at home we were a little team from Thibodeau, Louisiana, that literally had no business even playing them, let alone, you know, uh, being on the field and, and, and being able to compete with them. And um, I could get into the details, but we essentially beat them. And the next day, USA Today said, it is possible, the David and Goliath, it is possible for David to beat Goliath. So, you know, there's a whole lot I've learned along the way. Um, But the biggest thing is to empower athletes and to have them see what they can't see to be who they don't even know they can be. Well, Coach Compton, that that leads me to my next question. When you you first have a girl that joins your program, a young woman that joins your program, 
is there, do you feel like it is something that they come with already that internal drive? Like you had, obviously, if you're playing on the national team, or is that something that can be developed in a player? Do they have that innately or is it developed? Can it be developed? Yeah. So what I've discovered, first of all, when I said, you know, women athletes, that's that's more where I spent most of my college and professional because I also coached professionally in North Carolina. That's who I have the most experience. But what I found is human beings are human beings, men and women. You know, it, it works in terms of being a human being. So what I found is that some athletes come to a program just like some CEOs come to us or some somebody who's out to something and they've got some inner drive in them, something that has them push beyond who they know themselves to be. The average athlete or most come to us with what I call like limiting beliefs and something in the way of them getting what's possible inside of their performance. And so I completely believe that it is developed, discovered, and more than anything, I think much like that, uh, the story of the statue, David, where the artist said, David was our, always there. All I did was keep chipping away at whatever wasn't David till all of a sudden there he was, the statue of David. So that's what I like to say is <clears throat> we chip away at anything that's not you, not performance. And we discover the great athlete in you. Could you share with us a story about an athlete who you saw tremendous potential in, but for whatever reason, they had some sort of mental block or something holding them back, even if it was a physical thing like the yips, but something that you're like, wow, this person's potential is tremendous, but this thing is just keeping them from showing how great they could be. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'll go right back to the story I just shared with you about South Carolina. I had a, a, a gal who transferred from a junior college um, and she was one of the most talented. She actually could be on the Olympic team, could have been on the Olympic team, but something in the story she had that was like a movie that would run over and over and over again was that she actually couldn't perform in critical times. She had this belief system that she couldn't do that. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, is she was talented, but you could see the look on her face and you could actually see her tighten up as she would be up to bat. Now, the really fascinating thing about that is, is you can change any story. Pretty much everything's made up, including things like the sun rising in the morning. No, the sun actually doesn't rise. That's an illusion. So you can shift any story. And if you can do that, they can go from this mindset of, being stuck and playing that pattern over and over again of choking in a key situation to being a peak performer in a key situation. So this is the fascinating thing. South Carolina said she wasn't good enough to play on their team. She's from South Carolina. We actually brought her in and created the opportunity for that moment. Now, not that specific moment. It ended up being like a movie, movie book kind of ending because she's the one who came up to bat and got the game-winning hit against the team that said she wasn't good enough to play. So, so I do think that there's mental blocks. I, and by the way, it's not with athletes. It's with every human being. I've yet to find a human being that doesn't have some conversation and some story in their head running the show. It might impact their marriage, maybe not their business, maybe not their performance on the field. But in the end, it probably impacts all of it. And at best, what people 
people is they either survive it or they find a way to overcome it. But there's no freedom. There's no self-expression. There's no like in the zone, just experiencing the greatness of the opportunity from most people. Unless you've done the work to actually discover what is that? What is that that stops you, that blocks you? And and how can you pull it apart from you making it real to getting, no, it's all been made up. You've been living your whole life inside of some story that isn't even real. And then be able to create from there. Like, how did you help her overcome that mental block so she could get that game winning hit? And I totally agree with you. Everything is made up. And the story we tell ourselves becomes our reality. But how do you get that point across to that person or to any other athlete who's dealing with a story that's limiting them? Great. Well, there's a whole lot of work involved. Fortunately, we would have an athlete for a really long time, you know, four, four years. Um, but there is work involved. And part of it is in distinguishing that it's not real. You see, try telling somebody who's really stuck, who believes their spouse doesn't love them or who believes, you know, they're not going to ever perform as well as uh, so-and-so, try telling them that's not real. So one of the first things we do is we have them really distinguish that it was made up. It was made up at a very young age and it's been played over and over and over and over and over so many times that they think it's real. So that's the first step. It, then there's a whole lot of steps in between. But at the end there, what we train our athletes and train really anybody to do is to focus on right here, right now, the present moment, right now, what's going on right now, right now. Well, actually, my mouth is moving. That's what's going on right now. And so if you can get an athlete or anyone to focus on right here, right now, and then there's some techniques of breathing and relaxing and things like that. Um, and then the movie I have them play over again, or what I have them go to is one of those moments where it all came together, where all of a sudden it was like they pushed autopilot and it just happened. Some call it being in the zone, some call it something else, but we train people to be able to get to that point where they can, versus the story of what didn't work, focus on um, this is it right here, right now. And it's like pulling the trigger. I call it pulling the trigger where there's nothing but you, the ball, and pulling the trigger. Coach Compton, one of the things I've seen in a lot of great coaches that we've interviewed over the years is their ability to allow the player to focus on the next at bat. Softball, like baseball, is such a game of failure. You know, three out of 10 it, you know, hits in, in, in 10 at bats, and you're a, you're a great player. How did you teach your girls or help them give them the tools that they could put a you know, strike out behind them, uh, put an air behind them and move on and be ready for that next one. How did you prepare them for the next at-bat and let them flush that last at-bat? Uh, so great that you said that, Dan, because uh, as a young coach, I tried everything. And when you said flush that last at-bat, I even used to have this little mini toilet in the dugout. And we literally would have the athletes when they came off, you know, out of the box, out, having struck out or popped up, they had different rituals for themselves, but what a lot of them loved was to actually walk over, kind of get present to whatever thought they just had about what just happened. Because what just happened is they did this and the ball did this. That's really what happened. But they would literally take those thoughts, they'd go down to that little thing and they'd flush, they'd literally flush it away. And I so trained the athletes to get, listen, 
the reality is, is if you flush that toilet, it ain't coming back. Now, you, if you really want to, you could try to find it, but it's not there. Now, there's a payoff in you digging for the crap and keeping that alive, but there's a payoff to that uh, and there's a cost to it. So we just trained our athletes to be able to let that one go and focus on what's next. And, and if you play forward and backwards, because what most people, including athletes do, is they take their past and they keep putting it in their future. It's the past and the future. It's the future that they're, they're going up to bat with the thought of last time I struck out, better not strike out again. What we trained our athletes to do is to let go. And there's many different techniques of doing that, but letting go of what just happened, because what just happened is what just happened, has no impact on the future, none. The only thing that has an impact on the future is right here, right now, what you're creating right here, right now. So a lot of different techniques, but one of my favorite is, is a fun one called flushing it away, like just getting rid of it, getting rid of the crap. There is uh, so many metaphors that go along with that. And just like stories, metaphors are real, right? So we always say like, that's a load of crap. Well, literally it is a load of crap if you flushed it away, but then you try to bring it back with you. We talk about baggage, right? Like, so we like fill up this bag full of these past memories and things. We bring them along with us as we go. And uh, that's very similar to what I do with a lot of my athletes is um, when they're dealing with some things from the past and they just feel like it's like holding them down. It's a weight on their shoulders. We do this thing called an emotional purge. And part of it is like, even to say it out loud, but then to say it out loud and sometimes like write it down, like, like write it on a piece of paper. And then, um, we go through so many steps, like we'll have them address that piece of paper. Like it's real and scratch through it or burn it. But then the ultimate end is actually to flush it down the toilet, like to watch it go away, like to, to totally purge it, release it from you. And then make it completely gone. So, like again, you could get it back, but do you really want to like you know yeah. dive in and go through the sewer system to try to get something like that? Let me share real quick because this is perfect. What I just remembered now. Remember, this was many years ago, so I'm bringing this back to my memory bank. That South Carolina game the day before, we actually were playing against a team called Coastal Carolina. I think that's what they were called, and it was raining. And that you know, if you know athletes and you know sports, you know you show up for the big games, and sometimes you don't show up for the games that are like you could win in your sleep. And the team didn't show up; they just didn't show up. And here it is, raining, and we weren't playing well, and the game got called. So what we did is we had one of those moments in the rain. And I literally walk them through what it is to perform at your level inside of what you're capable of, instead of looking over there and performing according to who's across the field from you. And interestingly enough, when that was all said and done, and believe it or not, back in the day, we ran sprints. Uh, you know, and when I was, I was being inducted into one of the Hall of Fames, and one of my athletes said that was a defining moment for them. I thought it was a horrible thing as a coach to do back you know, back then we ran people, get on the line, let's run. Uh, but they ended up saying it was one of the defining moments for them. But after all that was said and done, and they learned that to not show up, to not, to not be who you can be at any given moment, the best you can be just doesn't work. At the very end of that, I had them pick up a bunch of rocks. Don't even know where I came up with this from. A lot of it was just you know, ideas of how could you let that go and get rid of it. And what they would do is they would actually create with one of the rocks, one of those limiting beliefs or one of those stories that they made up about them, about the game, about the opponent, or even about life. 
And then they would literally throw it as far as they could. And I remember sitting there watching them. And then a couple of them said, yeah, well, I'm an outfielder. I'm going to take a bunch of grass because I got a whole bunch of thoughts coming through my head at the same time. And every one of them is a blade of grass. And I'm just going to throw it in the air. I don't know where it's going, but it's no longer over here with me. And I remember that because that's what set us up to the very next day going into South Carolina and doing what some said wasn't even possible. Coach Compton, it's amazing uh, your career and the success you've had in your career speaks for itself. You're a Hall of Famer. How much do you believe that your background in sports psychology actually played a role with you as a coach having that success? I think it played a huge role because, and I remembered as a young, young coach, maybe it was even in grad school, reading the book, The Mental Game of, I think it was The Mental Game of Baseball, I think. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, that's it. Like, it's the mind. Now, granted, you have to have the skill level. You know, you, you can't put someone out there on the field or on the court that doesn't have the capacity or the skill level. But let's face it, that the, at the higher level even, there's a lot of talented guys. I remembered uh, I had dinner with Pete Rose one time, and I loved picking his brain because he was one of the best players in baseball, in my opinion. And I remembered some of the things he said is there's not much difference in the guys that are really great. There's not much difference. It's like maybe one at bat for every, I don't know, 20 at bats. Um, But one of the things that I really got is that that ability to train your thoughts, to actually be responsible for the thoughts you have, even what you say, that's in the coaching world. What you say has everything to do with how your team performs. But that ability, that 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 sports psychology, that mental game is why we won and won often. Because remember, I, I didn't share this with you, but I started coaching the teams nobody else wanted. I was given the teams that no other coach wanted. I had the athletes nobody else wanted. So to be able to win consistently with those athletes, it was all about the mental game. Kathy, you're obviously very humble in the sense that you're uh in two Hall of Fames, is that correct? And I think you shared before that you've had over 500 wins, which is unbelievable. If you reflect back to all these teams, you told us a great story, kind of like the miracle on the field, like the miracle on ice. But um, was there a team that you can reflect back on that you say, wow, what a transformation of that team? And like, what do you, when you look back at it now, like what was the difference maker for that team that brought them from where they were to the team they eventually became? Yeah, this is that's a great, great question. I recently had an opportunity to go back and visit one of the first teams I ever coached. And it was a a team called Nickel State um, in Thibodeau, Louisiana. In fact, that's the team that beat South Carolina. And as I'm pulling up to the field and doesn't look like it did when we were there because we took pride in everything. The field was optimal. The benches were optimal. The stadium was optimal. Why? Because we painted it. We did, we did the work. So we created the world of everything counts. Everything matters. But as I'm driving up there, I still see the banner hanging down of the, the years that I was there that we were able to win championships and all of that. And what, what I got out of that team was we had, we had recruited at that point one of the best athletes in Louisiana, pitcher. And she was really, really, really good. And she was going to come to the school, not because we were the best or we were going to give her, you know, all this notoriety and she was going to become 
famous and all of that, but because her boyfriend was going to our school. So she actually was going to come to the school and she knew that we were a team that played well together. When you saw us play, there was something unique about the way we played and everyone saw it. Everyone saw it. But come to find out right before the start of the season, she got a wrist ending injury. And, you know, for a pitcher, that was a you're never going to pitch again moment. And I remembered that thought of, wow, we could have actually been one of the top teams in the country, even with our small little team of nobody. And uh, wow. And we created we created the context called next one up, next one up. And I remember turning to my pitchers and saying, OK, this is an opportunity. Anytime anything happens to you, whether on, in life or on the field, there's always an opportunity. This is it. We've got what we need to do what we said we would do. Uh, will we miss her? Sure. But you know what? Any person on this team can do what needs to be done. And we end up, that was the season that we went 34 and four, beat South Carolina. I think we, we made it to the NCAAs, which for a small school in the middle of nowhere to make it to the, to the NCAAs is kind of a big deal. And that's what, that's what I really discovered. That team had the ability to say, it wasn't going to be about her being the best pitcher in the world, or, or not in the world, but at least in the state. It was about how we were going to come together as a team. The team is greater than any one individual. And that was the team that I'll never forget uh, because that was, uh, again, one of those things that wasn't supposed to happen. That so reminds me, Dan and I love a book called Obstacle is the Way. And it's oftentimes the things that you think are obstacles actually end up being your greatest opportunity, like the story you just told. So if you were going to talk to a young coach who's thinking about going into uh, being a, a softball coach, Looking back at your amazing, stunningly, amazingly uh, career, what's some advice you would give that young coach as, as she's just starting her career? Wow. Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of men now coaching women's sports. Yes, and I, exactly. and I, actually think, I actually think, well, I got to be careful here. Um, there's something about connecting with an athlete. And if you can take a lot of the emotion out of it, uh, that will go a long way. And uh, I discovered that. I discovered as a as a female coach, I was very emotional. A lot of the guy coaches that came in, they they weren't operating like that. In fact, Skip Burtman, the baseball coach at LSU, and I were very good friends. And he was one of the winningest uh, coaches, I think, in baseball. I, I think he won five national championships when he was at LSU. And I remembered him saying, you know, you got to remove the personal attachment to it. You got to get there's you as an identity and then there's you as a coach. You're showing up as a coach. You got to get you're not a, you're not an identity out there. Your thoughts have nothing to do with anything. So put that coach hat on, step into that. And that actually went a long way for me. But what I would say to a young coach, what I would say to a young coach, a uh, new coach starting out, a couple of things. One, I would say train and develop yourself. Like, don't reinvent the wheel. I mean, I, it took me probably four or five years to even figure out what coaching was really all about, really all about. So I think, you know, reading the good books, getting with someone such as yourselves or getting a mentor, getting somebody who can actually have you see what you it could take you a couple of years to figure out. Or you could actually do the training and the development yourself. I'm a big believer in training and development. Just yesterday I was on a whole weekend long training and development leadership uh, 
thing with 700 people from around the world that I was actually part of. I was helping lead some of the sections of it. So to me, it's all about training and development. So go get yourself trained. Um, it's not necessarily, you're not going to find it in a book. Um, but what I would say is surround yourself with great people. This is the other thing that's key. Surround yourself with the right people. Just a quick story. When I was in Morocco, I was with the owner of the Chicago Cubs. And uh, it's kind of a long story, but my friend was friends with them. And I said, I'm going. She said, okay. So there I am sitting at breakfast with the owner of the Cubs when they had lost 103 years in a row. They sucked. They were in last place. And we literally, I kept telling him, listen, if you get a coach who can listen and create winners and champions, you can win a World Series. By the way, you have to have a team of unselfish, committed, we're in this together kind of team. And I kept walking him through the blueprint and telling him, you, you do what works. And I promise you, you'll win a World Series one day. Little did I know, three years later, I'd be sitting on my couch watching them lift the World Series um, trophy. And by the way, my friend was sitting in the press box, which then went with them, which didn't sit right with me. But uh, anyway, um, you know, it, it is possible. It is possible, but you've got to surround yourself with the right people, do what works and train and develop yourself. I mean, the greatest coaches spent years studying. I mean, John Wooden, how do you put your socks on? Teaching his guys how to put socks on, you know, learn from the best, Discover what works, train and develop yourself, and, the, and above all else, focus on empowering the athletes. You empower an athlete, they can do anything. When you look at stuff that's like the movie Moneyball, right? And baseball specifically has become entirely driven by statistics, right? So they're going to take a pitcher out because the statistics show that's the right move, and it's not based on emotion anymore. So it's interesting you talked about, I know you're not talking about the same thing, but I'm curious the connected piece there for you or your opinion on it, which is um, you said in softball or women tend to be more emotional and some men or some new coaches can like remove that emotion and just, you know, approach it in a different manner. What's your opinion on approaching baseball, softball from the statistics driven model versus the feelings you have about a player or their, their state of mind and things like that to make decisions? Uh, again, another great question. You know, to me, it's all of it. I, I mean, it's both. We use statistics. We know tendencies and things like that. However, I found as a coach in that moment when something magical can happen or something can happen, you can't predict it. You can't predict it statistically. So, I mean, I had techniques, for example, if I if I was wanting a pinch hitter, let's say uh, somebody to come in and, and uh, you know, take an at-bat because we had a runner in scoring position or something like that, literally looking in their eyes and saying, who's the one? Who's going to do this? The first person that raised their hand, I could actually tell their state of mind. I could tell they were ready. I could tell they knew they were the one. And then we would create it. So like one of the techniques I had was in a huddle when we'd be behind, I remember we were losing to uh, University of Arizona, and they, they had won year after year after year after year. I don't know how many games they won, but nobody could beat them. And here we were from Louisiana. We're in Arizona playing on their field. And I remembered in a huddle looking at the athletes and saying, you guys, this is the moment we've created. You guys got this. Now, listen, this is how it's going to happen. And I literally created how it's going to happen. I said, um, um, Beth, 
you're going to get on base. You're, you're going to be so zoned in, you will find the pitch and you're going to drive it right up the middle. Um, Maureen, you're going to come in. You're actually going to move her to second base. Now, it's probably going to be a bunt, so be ready for that because you're going to lay down the perfect bunt. And then you're going to drive her home. And I'll be darned if that inning, that's not exactly how it went. I literally created it because, again, an athlete, if they're in the right mindset, they don't know whether it's real or not. I mean, they, they, you know, thoughts become real. Um, and, and I know I'm getting a little deep on you, but, you know, it's, it is both. It's statistics, but it's also who's created that moment, that one moment. And, and another great story, there was a hitter, and I don't remember his name, at LSU Baseball. I will never forget this. This has gone down as one of the greatest moments in, in college sports. I think it's still one of the top 10. And uh, this guy was captain of the team, but he was one of those like not great athletes, but leaders, you know, I'm talking about the guys who lead by example and play full out, but they're actually not great athletes, but he was the captain of the team and he got hurt early in the season. And he would actually go out to the cage. He hurt, he hurt his dominant arm, his throwing arm. He would go out to the cage and with his non-dominant arm or hand, he would actually take swings and hit balls. He'd go out there and hit hundreds of balls, hundreds of balls. And he was actually driving them to the opposite field. So here we are. They're in the World Series, the final game of the World Series. LSU baseball is down two runs. I believe it was the ninth inning. It had to have been because <laughs> uh, they were playing. I think it was it was either Miami or Texas. I don't remember that. But anyway, Skip Bertman decides to put this guy into bat. Hadn't played all like half the season because he knew this guy had been preparing for this moment for pretty much his entire life. And the guy took a pitch and the announcers, it was unbelievable because they're all questioning, why are they putting this guy in? He hasn't even played. He hasn't even been in, in, in the games or hasn't even played. And he took a pitch and he hit it over the right field wall. And literally it was one of those moments where you'd swear the whole world just stopped because they're like, wait a minute. What just happened? Like, how, how did that happen? But he hit the game winning, knocked in a runner, and they won by one. And I, I'll never forget because there was a scene where they showed the shortstop on the other team literally just falling to the ground and laying there. Like he actually couldn't even believe what just happened because it wasn't supposed to happen. So statistics, yes. I believe more in the power of creating, the power of um, setting the stage for what's possible. So Kathy, when you told that story, it reminded me so much of the Kurt Gibson 1988 Dodgers story, right? You bring this guy in who's hurt and he hits this game-winning home run. It was incredible. I, I love, love, love that team. And it's incredible that this year the Dodgers come back after all that time and then win another World Series. So how can people reach out to you if they're curious to learn more about you or just connect with you in any way? Great question. You know what? I'm going to do what most probably wouldn't do, but I'm actually going to give you my email address and my phone number. So what I would say, and honestly, if you're a young coach out there or an athlete or really anybody who's up to something and you hear something that could make a difference, reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Maybe something that I have you see that you don't see can make a difference in your coaching and for your athletes. So my uh, email address is team, T-E-A-M. Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y, C, my last name is Compton, but it's C, at gmail.com. So team, Kathy C, 
at gmail.com. And my phone number is 480-292-5322. And again, it's interesting. We're going back to what those young coaches, what would I advise them? I would advise them to take action when it'll make a difference. You'd be shocked at how many people I've shared my phone number and my email address, you know, offered to have coffee with them and they don't take action. They think, you know, you can't possibly be talking about me or it can't possibly, you can't possibly be giving time or attention or uh, supporting me. So for those of you out there that are thinking that's it, take the action, no action, You'll never know. You'll never know what result could have gotten produced with no action. Thanks so much for coming on, uh, Doc, and the CIA today. It's been an absolute pleasure. To learn more about Doc and the CIA, go to docandthecia.com. To learn more about Dr. Dan Munton, go to danmunton.com. To learn more about Dan Crum, go to dancrum.com.